Come on, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, 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 glory. Something is happening here today. Praise God in the highest. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. I think the enemy had a plan today over your life. But God blocked it. God blocked it. God blocked it. God blocked it. Glory to God. There was a plan of destruction, a distraction, but God blocked it. God blocked it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God blocked it. 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 Praise the Lord. 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 Come on, put your hands together. Glory. Come on, tell your neighbor something's happening in here today. Tell your neighbor that. Something's happening. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It is no secret that when we worship and praise the Lord, heaven is moved. No secret. And one of the things we need to make sure we keep doing in this church is to prepare a, an atmosphere where the presence of the Lord can dwell. I know for some of you that are very learned in Scripture, God is everywhere. Right? He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. But Pastor E used the right word. Jehovah Shammah or Shama is that he is present fully as God just as he was in Genesis 1 when he was putting things together. And don't you know that so many of us need to have God put things together for us? Isn't it true? He's just an amazing God. I want to thank all of our friends and visitors that are here today. And yes, this is the way we do church here. This is the way we do church. We don't give coffee cards out or donut cards out. This is the way we do church. Because God's been very, very good to us. And there's no, we, we, there, what can we give a God that gives you everything? But the voluntary praises of a, of a people, of an individual that, that find worth and value in that relationship with the Lord. So it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. It's good to see you here as we worship the Lord. I just want to announce to you as well, we should give a shout out to our a church family up there in England, in Berkhamstead. Just turn around and look at that camera by the clock and say hi to Joe and John and our Berkhamstead family. They told me there were 12 or 16 there gathering today to watch our service. So we love you guys here from New York. And it's so good. And uh, look at your neighbor next to them and wave to them too and tell them it's good to see you here too. <laughs> You know, sometimes our passion overtakes us. 
Sometimes when we're passionate about something and we want something to happen, we develop this frame called expectations based on our passions. We have these things that we want, that we desire, with these dreams and fantasy places that we structure. If you're a parent, you, you, you structure this beautiful future for your kids, your daughters, your sons, your grandkids. If you have a parent, you, you, you structure a, a beautiful picture for them as well. If they're older, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll have a wonderful, rich life as long as the Lord has them here. And our passion drives us to create these images around us. And oftentimes to create expectations of those things as well. Expectations that might not necessarily be God's plan for the moment, but nonetheless our own expectations. You know, we'll pressure a family member, why don't you come to church? There's 52 Sundays in a week. Come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. if you really love me. <laughs> And they, we have this expectation of parading in on a day, beautiful lake day like today with our family and taking up a whole roll of seats and giving the ushers a hard time trying to accommodate all my family members. Uh, but those things don't happen because we have expectations. And then when we don't have those expectations, which are our own, when they're not met, we become frustrated. And then if we're not able to manage that frustration, and frustration is simply that feeling, that icky feeling that you get <laughs> when you were uh, wanting something to appear the way you thought it should appear and then it doesn't appear and so you get frustrated and unchecked frustration leads to uncontrolled emotions and so when you have uncontrolled emotions you, you ever met someone or maybe maybe it was you you ever said something you wish you could take back yeah, yeah sometimes we, we we get involved and or we're in a situation and you said something and you wish it could be taken back. So when you don't recognize frustration, <clears throat> when you don't manage then the emotions that can follow frustrations, because frustration is fed by passion, which sets up the uh, expectations. When those expectations are not met, if it's with a family member, if it's with a 12-step program to break an addiction, if it's to you know, exercise, or whatever it might be, get ourselves healthy, Frustration sets in, and if we don't, we don't watch that, then we have this, this deluge of uncontrolled emotions. And then left unchecked, our uncontrolled emotions will create disaster. We'll end up hurting. We'll end up ruining a relationship. We'll end up miscommunicating. And we may have had originally the, the very best intentions, but the way it played out for us, because our passions weren't controlled and managed from the very beginning, the outcome becomes not our expectations and something certainly far from God. That is what, our, <clears throat> what I want to share with you today, what I want to preach to you, with you today. Listen to me closely. You may want to write this down. You can't quit. Just change lanes. Stick it out. You may want to write this down. You can't quit. Just change lanes. Stick it out. Say it again, because some of you aren't writing. You, you don't have a great memory like that. Can't quit. Just change lanes. Stick it out. Can't quit. <laughs> Just change lanes. Stick it out. One last time, just to make sure you got it, because now you can say it with me. One, can't change. Can't quit. Can't quit. Oh, 
Good, you got it better than me. Can't quit. Just change lanes. Stick it out. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him, you got that? Look at England and say, Berkhamstead, you got that? <laughs> the story that I have for you today is found in the book of Acts. It's an interesting, fascinating story as Paul is on unraveling, if you will, his call and mission and ministry. Paul was a very unique character. If you studied him, you'll love him and you'll hate him. You'll love him because he, he, he exudes a model that you would like to have, and you'll hate him because you'll look a lot like him, so many of us. You'll have to study that on your own. But the book of Acts is fascinating because it's not only the, the acts of the apostles and what they were doing, but in this passage of Scripture, Paul already had had that encounter with the Lord. He was a chaser of the church. He was a hater of the church, a hater of the gospel. On the road to Damascus, he has an encounter, knocked off his horse, uh, rendered blind, and there his transformation began. We find that then he is moved by this gospel that transformed him, and he's going from city to city preaching the good news. That's what the book of Acts is about, Acts of the Apostles. And he'll go into a place and he preaches, and, and then all of a sudden the, the place gets all riled up. In fact, if you study carefully the book of Paul, you will find that not everywhere that he spoke, people loved him. Some people actually hated him, hated his message. In fact, some people were so angry they wanted to kill him. So the book of, of, of Acts is, is interlaced with these miraculous workings of, of, of signs and wonders, but also these moments of human fear. There were some situations where Paul uh, had to be helped out of the city by his security force, his, his secret service unit was working overtime trying to get him out of the city because people were out to kill him. Prior to chapter 18, we find him going into Athens. I preached about this on Wednesday. And he ended up going to this place where uh, there were many gods. And that was the place of the high city, the Pantheon in Athens. If you study it carefully, it's this place. And if you look at it, you can just Google it later on. It actually sits, this temple of, of religiosity, sits above the city. We had the pleasure of going there a few years ago. And it, you actually, actually, have to, actually have to go up and all these columns and things. It was just amazing. And he went there, and, and, and that city was known for being the center of culture and of, uh, of arts and industry and finance, uh, the mecca of anything that, uh, of human endeavor and adventure. But they were very much involved in religiosity and in, in traditions and culture and in God. And in that place, he found gods for this and that. He even found an, an altar of uh, the God that was unknown. And that's the very famous passage where, John, where, where Paul now preaches this sermon precisely on that. Excellent contextual preaching where he says, I'm going, I notice you have an altar to the unknown God. I'm going to preach about that God. One of the things that comes out of that story, that's prior, that's ch this chapter 18 we're going to look at today, but it's chapter 17, is that you just need to look in the context and, and you'll find something that will get people's hearts and, and pique their interests. The other thing you'll find in the context, because they had an altar to the unknown God. They were seeking after God. And, and, and church, let me just guide you for a moment. Your family members, your loved ones, your neighbors, your co-workers, they're seeking for something spiritual. Seeking for something bigger than themselves. Most people are uncomfortable with religion. Uncomfortable with it. Many people are injured because of religiosity. But every single person has this little hole in their heart that only a mighty God can fill. That's the yearning for spirituality. So don't try to force people into your religious path. Be who you are. 
understand the history that, you, that comes with you and the cultural context that makes you that person of faith, but don't try and, 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 and impress that in people to such a point where you'll build up expectations, which will lead to frustration, which will lead to uncontrolled emotions, which will mess things up. Oftentimes, that's what we do. In fact, let me just tell you now, back off on your family members. If you really trust God, if you really love the Lord, and if you're really praying for that son and daughter and loved one, back off and let God do what God does best. Oftentimes, when we can't back away, is because we are inside, intrinsically inside, we do not believe that God can. So God needs help. So we get in the way. Get out of the way. And let the Holy Ghost come in and work on your spouse and work on your kids and work on your family members and work on your stuff. Just back away and let God do what God does best. Otherwise, you'll be frustrated, overcome with emotions, reacting in the wrong way and messing things up. Because we have to learn that we can't quit. We just need to change lanes and we have to stick it out. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering of praise for a moment. <clears throat> And so Paul preaches that. And then in this text that we're looking at right here of 18, and I'm picking it up at, at verses 5 and on, we see that, that now they've gone through Macedonia. And it says in the opening verse that I'm using today, of verse 5, he says, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. And I want to stop there for a moment because more than likely, you are not capable of doing five things at the same time. Some people can walk and chew gum at the same time. Most people can't do that. God bestows upon you a gift, an ability, a passion, a desire. Write a book, start a business, have an endeavor, get, get yourself ready on education, become an artist. Whatever it is that God placed in your life, you need to devote yourself exclusively to that. There might be a periphery of other things that you can get involved in. But there is an exclusive gift, an imprint that God has in your life that you need to discover. And it says here very clearly, Paul could have done a lot of things. If you study Paul, Paul was a PhD of PhDs. He could have been teaching in the best seminaries and schools of the prophets and, and synagogues of his time. In fact, he was renowned because of the prowess of his intellect. He was an amazing intellectual man. That's why today, so many, so many hundreds of years later, we're still studying Paul. Because he was just a master gifted in that area. And he was, a, he was gifted in the area of rhetoric, which is really in debating a point and making a point. So it says here that Paul devoted himself not into being political, <clears throat> not into being a family member, if you will, but he devoted himself. His gifting was preaching. But here's where he missed it. It says that he went testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. You can have the very best gifts in the world, God-given abilities in your life, doing incredible things with the gift that God, whatever it might be, music, singing, writing, I just said uh, painting, sculpturing, or whatever it might be, being able to resolve problems for people, have an incredible legal mind to help people navigate the judicial systems, having an ability to counsel people when they're going through problems. You might be brilliantly gifted by God in that area, but you might be speaking to the wrong audience. And in a way, you're wasting your gift instead of moving out of the way and get God, let God do what he has to do. Look at the text again. It says that Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. That was his gift. 
testifying to the Jews, big mistake, that Jesus is the Messiah. So he was gifted, but look at the second part. He also had the right message that Jesus was the Messiah. So two things that were going on his side. One was that he was gifted, preaching. That he had the right message, Jesus was the Messiah. But he was preaching to the wrong choir. Look at the rest of the text. Let's lift this up. He said he was testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul, ah, and became abusive. In fact, if you study a little, a little clearer, clearer, they weren't just confronting him academically, intellectually, point by point on his philosophies of religion and of faith and of the gospel and of Jesus as the Messiah. But when you see this word abusive, it doesn't render it to us correctly in context. In context is that they became physically violent. Tell me off, but don't touch me. They were telling him off and touching him. They were telling him off, touching him, and getting political maneuvers to get him in jail. That's what the whole conflict that was going on in the early church. It says that they became abusive. But you know what he did when he realized that he's preaching to these Jews? He's going to the synagogue, doing what he knows how to do, preach. Having the right message, Jesus is the Christ. Speaking to the Jews and confronting them in their place and, in their, and, and where they were. They became abusive. They rejected his message. They became violently abusive to him and the other disciples. Just read it in the context and you'll see. You know what Paul did? Because he, became, he had expectations. Here's, here's Paul's expectations. I am super smart. He was. I know the philosophies. Absolutely so. I am gifted in rhetoric. No debate about that. I'm going to use what I have to convince these Jews. Big mistake. Listen, let me give you something right now. You could never save anybody. You could never make a lame walk, the blind to see. You could never break the chains of bondage from anyone. The only one that can work the miraculous in people's lives, as he's done in me and in you, is the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Come on, give the Lord a praise right now if you know that's true. <clears throat> Here is Paul also satisfied within himself that in the, you read it, read it, read it later on. He actually would go looking for synagogues so that he can go in there and convince these Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Right gift, right message, wrong audience. What happened? He had expectations that led to frustrations that caused him to be emotional that mess things up. Keep that sequence going in your mind because you're going to see it unfolding. It says now that he went there and when they became abusive, he shook his clothes in protest. And that's just not shaking your clothes. That's simply a rejection of that person and who they are as a person and just behaving from that point forward as if they no longer existed. That's what that, that means in context. He, he protested. He shook his clothes. And then he says to them, your blood be on your head. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. You don't want to hear what I have to say? Well, I'm going to go to them. In a way, it was almost a put down of the Gentiles. You're too smart, Jews, to get this. But the other ones who might not be just as smart, I'm going to go to them. So in a way, it's a put down. But I think we have to go further than that. And that is the, the condition of Paul's passion. And I'm, I'm going there right now with you. You're, I don't know a parent that doesn't want their kid saved. I don't, want, I don't know a parent that doesn't want the best for their son and their daughter. I don't know a parent that doesn't grieve when they see their, their child 
uh, young or old, behaving in a way that, that's hurtful for them, it causes you to pray and intercede even more. I mean, those are emotions we need to own. I don't know a spouse that doesn't want to see a, uh, their marriage work. People don't get married to get divorced and to have a horrible marriage. Uh, people don't do that. They don't uh, build a family so that their, their family can be held. They don't want to battle with their mind going crazy and they can't shut off uh, crazy thoughts and depressions that set in. None of that is true. We want the best for people around us. But what happens is when we think we can make that happen, that we can change our child, <clears throat> that we can change the atmosphere of our home life, that we can build something because I know that was the danger here. And if you study Paul early on when he was sold, there was this thing of pride in him. And sometimes there is a residue of those sinful inclinations that stay inside of us, even though we're washed in the blood of the Lamb and we sing, God is awesome. Where we think, I got this. We don't have anything. We have Christ who has everything. And in him, I, I am and I have my being. And I just want to rattle you for a moment here today. And I, as I rattle myself, as I studied this, and he went in there and he says, your blood is on you. I'm going to go now to the Gentiles. You don't want me. Look at what it says. Then Paul left the synagogue. He was doing all of this in the synagogue, I said before, and went next door. In fact, he went next door to this guy called Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. He, was, he lived right next to the synagogue. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who, were Paul's, uh, who heard Paul believed and were baptized. In other words, he didn't go far from where he, his expectations and passion wanted him to be. Be. I'm getting somewhere with this because we need we can't quit. Just change lanes. Stick it out. Listen to me closely. He had the right message. He had the right gifting. He was in the wrong, going the wrong way on the wrong road. You following me? You're still with me? I think I got your attention. But look what happens. The moment he gets out of his own way and decides to go to the Gentiles, look at the text. It says that when he finally got out of the way, because he was all frustrated, he was giving up, went all or, or to the other side now to preach to the Gentiles, changed the road, changed lanes. Then the vision of the Lord came to him. I find it fascinating that while he was doing the right thing, God didn't speak to him. The moment that he pulled away from doing what he thought was right and moved away, because it wasn't really about that. It was about, Paul, you're in the way. Paul, you're in the way. Paul, you're in the way. I'm going to reach the Jews. I'm going to send Mark to do that. He's going to be the one that's going to do that. I'm going to send Luke to do that. I'm going to send Peter to do that, but not you. You've got to preach to the Gentiles. I call you to do a specific thing. Paul, get out of the way. Get out of the way. That was the issue. The moment he got out of the way, God provided to reach the Jews in the synagogue, but then he also then speaks to Paul. And I think it's fascinating. In the, and I remember he went, he changed lanes when he was upset. He was angry. He was giving up on preaching to anybody. I mean, he was going to the Gentiles, but I'm preaching to what he thought was the power that be during that time. And sometimes in the moment when we're running away is a time when God stops us to talk to us and set us straight when we think, I'm not doing this anymore. Come on, you, you know you've gone through that place. I'm giving up. I've prayed. I've fasted. I'm tired. It's, 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 it's uh, uh, 2017. I've been praying on this for 17 years and nothing's happened. It's because you're in the way. It's because you're in the way. 
I've been praying for my son, my daughter. I've been praying for our finances to turn around. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I've been praying to, to have the provision, the, the abundance, the home, the job. Or, or it's that you're in the way, you're in the way, you're in the way. Right message. Right passion. But you're standing in the way. You've been unsuccessful in changing your loved one. You've tried everything. You've, you've, you've prayed over every pillow in the house, every soap bar in the house, every towel in the house that touches your son and daughter and loved one, and still no change has happened because you're in the way. God is ready to work a miracle in your situation and speak to you directly. Just get out of the way so you can hear the voice of the Lord. Come on, put your hands together and clap so we can just break the moment. And look at what the Lord says to him. He says to him, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking, affirming, <laughs> it's a crazy text here. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, because that's what happens. I give up. You know, when people give, give up, you know I know you've never done it because you're holy, righteous, pure, and filled with God. But some people, you know, all of a sudden says, well, all right, I can't do that. I'm not doing anything. I'm over here. I'm watching. You do it. That's selfish. That's carnal. That's outside of God's will. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. I'm saying it with a lot of love. That's what that is. You cannot not do anything. We've got to be engaged, but we've got to make sure we're doing the right thing to the right audience, to the right crowd, and make sure we're not in the way of blocking what God wants to do. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering of praise for a moment. And the Lord tells them, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And I love this part. For I am with you. No one's going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. I'm going to get to that last phrase because I'm an urbanologist. So I'm going to get to that for a moment. You have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. What do we learn from this that I want, to, I want you to take home today? First of all, Paul was frustrated with his that it seemed like his efforts were in vain. He was frustrated. He had a passion. He had a vision, and that vision wasn't working out, and he got frustrated, not because God told him to do that, but because he told himself to do that. You will never be frustrated when you're doing the will of God. You will be frustrated when you step out of, the, out of that will and do what people are telling you to do or others are telling you to do and not what God is telling you to do. Frustration will sets in sets into your life when you start marching at someone else's tune. March in God's tune. Stay connected with Him. Do what God has placed for you to do. I can't help but personalize it. I've been here for a long time in this church. I'm in my starting my 41st year in pastoral ministry in this church. And through the years, I've had people say, "You know what you should do? You know what you should go?" I saw somebody that they says, "You haven't run for office yet." You haven't gone here and there and everywhere? You know what? I have one boss. And I've learned through the years to follow what he says. When I say one boss, everybody look to Pastor E. I know. <laughs> I got it. I got it. She's my second boss. When God says go, I go. When God says it's over, it's over. But until he says it's over, it ain't over because I answer to him. Are you following me? And what happens? Wait, wait. So storms will come, but frustration won't lead to emotional outbursts, which will then make a mess. 
Because you know that I am, a, I am an under-shepherd to the Lord. I don't own this church. None, none, I can't believe that when I am today, he still allows me to do what I do. But because he says, you're still on, I'm still on. Are you following me? And okay, you could run this organization. You could do that. Oh, yeah, I would love, yeah, give things here and there. But it isn't about that. It's that what is God calling you to do? Please remember, the people that know me for a long time, I was not kicked out of Wall Street. I was not kicked out of Wall Street. When I left Wall Street in, in 1991, I left at the, uh, my, my career was taken off. I guarantee you, if I would have followed my carnal economic sense and not God during that time, today you'll be reading about me as this rich Puerto Rican that's <laughs> super rich. But what happened, I was taught to be obedient to the Lord. And I'm not saying this with any regret. I don't have any regrets of walking away from that. But you, you can stay doing what you, what you feel like doing and be frustrated and then have an outburst of emotion and make a mess. Or you can say, wait a minute, I answer to a God. I'm going to let him. I, I've done everything I can to help my kids. I've done everything I can to work on this marriage. I've done everything I can to correct this, these moments that I have emotional outbursts and ups and downs in my life. I've done everything I, I can. Let me just trust the Lord. Praise. Let me just see if God can work a miracle. He tells, he tells them uh, there are many people in, in, in the city. That means that there were other resources. He thought that he had to win the world. You have to have that as a pushing motivation in your life. But church, this is not going to be the city church. Hallelujah. I've heard pastors say that so many times when I go to conferences. Yeah, my, the Lord told me to win the city. It is impossible for a church to win the city. It is through collaboration. It is through, through alliances. It is through connections that you have that you put that all together and then you're able to influence. You know, mega churching is not about the number of people sitting in seats in a, and warming up pews. Mega churches is about impact and influence. Jesus had no congregation. Jesus had no organizational background, background. Jesus had none of that. Yet there is no way that we can avoid the reality that he had influence. Till this day, he's still influencing. One of the books I'll eventually write, I think the, well, I'll give you the, the title of it when I write it, so that way you won't go ahead and write it before me. Right. <laughs> it's about that. There's this mystique, this mystery that, you know, I'm going to build. A, no, that's another thing. Build by, Jesus says, I'm going to build a church. So if I say, I'm going to build a church, me, Mark Rivera, I'm actually saying, Jesus, don't bother because you're not good enough because I'm going to build a church. We don't build anything. We're very good at destroying. How many are reading through the book of Acts? That's part of the reading, by the way. Huh? The book of Acts was about adding. We're, we're, God is very good at adding and multiplying. We're very good at taking away. Come on, you know it's true. You got up this morning and you want to come to church, a beautiful day. And when you looked at yourself in the mirror, you started detracting. Oh, my eyes. Oh, my goodness. He's bad. Oh, my hair. De you, devaluing. I need more makeup. That's devaluing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ha Luke. Yeah. Come on, don't look at anybody when I say that. Frustrated. He was angry with the Jews. He did not realize then that convincing the Jews was not his assignment. It wasn't until he got out of the way that he was able to fully realize God's plan over his life. We will be frustrated and angry when we embrace the wrong results for our efforts. Listen, church, let me just confess to you today, I've been preaching a long time. I don't preach to fill an altar. No, my, my, I, I don't get emotionally charged or discharged. Because my responsibility is to break the bread of life to you today. 
You do what you think is right for you. My responsibility ends at breaking the bread of life to you. Your responsibility begins that you hear it, what you're going to do with that. And oftentimes we have people getting ready to do whatever to impress. This is going to be the best class in the world. Um, and in this church, we have two things that motivate us. One is that we want to be able to always do the best that we can to honor God, excellence toward God, and excellence toward our people. Can other people do it better? Probably. But in this house, those are the two things, two things we follow. We don't get sidetracked by stuff. What is the motivation for doing that? I'm going to do this because this I'm going to knock it out of the park today. I'm going to worship. I'm going to lead these people and worship, worship them silly. That's the wrong motivation. The motivation needs to be, Lord, I'm placing my gifts at your feet. Yes. Can't believe that you could use the little that I have that I'm putting at your feet so that you can be glorified. When you go that way, I'm telling you, results will happen. Don't take an endeavor uh, in your hands so that you can make it bigger and better. Oftentimes, as I said before, we detract, we devalue. It is only when we place our gifting in the hands of God that things become embellished and things become glorified because he's that kind of a God. We will be frustrated and angry with the wrong motives. Our efforts will let us down. Even if you have the right gift, the right message, we see it here, the wrong audience, the wrong attitude, frustration, that turns to anger and then lashes out. And, and these are clear signs that you might be off. And Paul was definitely off here. He was definitely off because he had the wrong expectations. He thought he was going to win the Jews. He thought he was gonna, they were going to receive the Christ because they were waiting for the Messiah. He thought he had the ability to convince them because that's his gifting. And when it did happen, that he became angry. Listen, don't get all bent out of shape. If you have this wonderful idea of how we should run the church and you come and tell me and I tell you, let's wait and pray on it. Let me tell this side then. I may not be the best slicer of bread in the world, but God put me responsible for taking care of this loaf. You may have a great idea, a great biblical idea, but I've got to shepherd these people, and I'm the one giving account to God for all of you, not any of you, for all of you. Is that too clear for you? Some of you are not saying anything right now. And that's not prideful. That's not dictatorial. That's simply the facts, Jack, Jane. When I sat on the other side of the pew and I wasn't the senior pastor, I yielded. And some of us have great ideas, fantastic biblical ideas. But we've got to wait for the moment when, the, when it's right for those things to blossom. I was reading, one of the readings that I did, and maybe I'll bring it as a teaching or a preaching, when the two prophets, remember when he says, uh, uh, what do you want? He tells him, uh, uh, I want a double portion. Remember that, that passage in Kings? And then, and then when the, 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 uh, Elijah, Elijah tells Elisha, the younger one, tells him, well, if you see me being caught up in glory, then you will have the double portion. And a lot of teachings, but this teaching comes out that's very powerful. It says that then when Elijah, the older one, was being taken up. Remember Chariots of Fire, that movie? It's all based on that. So the, the being taken up, it says that the, the, the robe or the mantle, the mantle of Elijah over the younger Elisha, now all of a sudden came down. Now Elisha, the younger one, knew that he was going to follow in the guy's footsteps. This is powerful leadership stuff. Listen to me closely. And you look at it later on. It's a, uh, uh, Second Kings, I believe it is. But you know the story. So now he's being taken up into the sky. The older prophet, Elijah, with a J-A-H. Now Elisha is standing underneath, and now the mantle falls on him. Look at this. 
It wasn't until he had the mantle, the robe in his hand. I just want to show off my shirt to you. No. <laughs> Elijah had the robe. It wasn't until the robe fell off and then came down and Elijah caught it, the younger, that he tore it in half. While it still belonged to Elijah, he wouldn't dare tear it in half. You look at the text. But once he got it, once the transition happened, he tore it in half. And then the Bible says that he hit the water and the water split. Are you following what I'm saying? Watch your timing. Watch your timing. Make sure the oven is at 450 and you wait 12 minutes before you take it out. And then when you take it out, let it sit and rest because sometimes food after you, I know I cook, after you cook, you have to let it sit because the meat won't be right. Just wait a few moments until it rests and then you can slice it. If you slice it beforehand, you're going to say, who made this food? Yes. Are you following me? Yes. Just because it's done doesn't mean that it's ready. Oh, oh come on. Yes. Yes, I like, I, I'm going with, I mean, I'm, this is not my notes, but I know the Lord is carving away at stuff in people's heart right now. It was Samuel, right, in the book of Samuel, Eli, that he goes out there, here I am. I didn't call you. Go back. Here I am. I didn't call you. Go back. Here I am three times, and he says, I didn't call you. He sends him away again. The Bible says that little Sam, you know what he did? He received an instruction on his assignment. He received the call, the call. He received the job description. He received a mandate directly from God, right? I mean, it's clear. The Bible says that little Samuel, you know what he did? He didn't say, well, God called me now. Let's start preparing your death, old man, because you're no longer going to be here anymore. The Bible says that he, Samuel, went back to what he was doing all along. And you know what he was doing? He used to open and close the temple gates. Here he is called, opening and closing the temple gate. Here he is anointed, opening and closing the temple gate. Here he is, the man that God has spoken, opening. Watch your timing. Watch my timing. All of us, all of us, all of us. And that is not me preaching now. We just got to be careful. And we find here that, God, that, that uh, he was lashing out. He had his expectations. It turned to anger. He, now he, he messes things up uh, in a moment. And then what happens? Then he, when he gets into another lane, because my theme is you can't quit, just change lanes and stick it out. When he changes lane, then God speaks to him. Listen, one of the first uh, human reactions of, of human being, how many people here are human? Some don't know. Help them out. How many people here are human? We're all human, right? You know, what the, you know what the first instincts of human beings are? I don't know if you know this. This is not spiritual. This is simply scientific. Grasping. You ever notice a baby when they're small, moms and dads, you have to open up their little hands to clean because they get lint inside their fingers because we're born grasping. We have to learn to let go. We're born grasping. This is my toy. This is my ice cream. This is my, it's true. This is my anointing. This is my calling. This is my assignment. We've got to get to a place where we trust God so much that we're willing to. Peter needed to let go. 
Joshua needed to let go. We need to learn to, not my will. Oh, come on. But thy will be done. Come on, you can clap if that means anything to you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Paul needed to let go of his inclination to win over the Jews. When he let it go, he didn't quit, although it might have come into his mind. He, when he let it go, then he was able to move into the right, the lane he should have been in, the place he should have been in, and then God spoke to him clearly through a dream. And I want to get to this point now because I am a person standing before you that I firmly believe in the miraculous. I believe there are things that happen in life that you and I cannot explain. I believe that God speaks through dreams. Now wait, 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 wait. Not every dream is God speaking to you, but God speaks through dreams. Did you hear me? God speaks through dreams. Not every dream is God speaking to you. Sometimes it's the McDonald's you had the night before. It's the pizza that's still trying to regurgitate inside of your belly. But, but God does speak. I've had the Lord give me. I have stuff written down. This is a true story. I have stuff written down. You'll never know where because now you're going to say, show me, Lord, where it is. You will never know where. Written down of things that just, and I've received them years ago, just now are becoming manifested. Through dreams. So I believe, and here's the danger. Church, can I talk to you about a danger for a moment? Because there's darkness sweeping across our land and darkness sweeping over the church of God today. We need to be careful that we don't disqualify that that we should not disqualify. Be careful of dreams and, and supernatural, miraculous things that happen. But I believe, I believe sometimes there are people that visit our journey that are there for a specific purpose. And I, I believe in angelic beings that, 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 and you say, oh, he's getting all crazy. I mean, no, this is the facts, Jack. I believe he speaks to us through dreams. I believe he guides us through dream, dreams. And the dream needs to be biblical. It needs to be encouraging. God's never going to command you to get divorced, to go kill somebody, to go do an investment. What are the five numbers I need to play on Clinton Street this coming week? <laughs> Give me a dream. Those aren't God dreams. No, those aren't God dreams. That's you. That's your, that's your lactose intolerance from the cheese you had the night before. Or your desperate move toward religiosity rather than being spiritual. Come on, give the Lord a cap offering if you got what I just said. <laughs> but he speaks through dreams. We have to qualify them. We have to make sure that it's the Lord speaking to them. And also dreams sometimes appear to us and we might not know the explanation right now. But we just have to reserve it. Everyone dreams. Some of us can't remember the dreams. But that's okay. The ones that you don't remember, you don't have to worry about. The ones that you remember are recurring. You have to sit and explore those for a moment. Don't get up and say, I got to call somebody because just a few moments ago I just had a dream. They may not be able to explain it to you right there. It's something that might be progressive or cumulative in being able to understand. But God, God is miraculous. I shared with you the story a few, I think it was a, a few weeks ago when I was talking about Dr. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center has this testimony when him and his wife they were not married yet. They were 17 years old, walking through Ralph Avenue in Brooklyn. This is before he became famous and known, and now he has a 35,000-member church and a friend of our church as well he is today. And he's walking with his then-girlfriend, both 17 years old, and some lady comes from behind him and says, God loves you. God has a, a tremendous plan over you, pointed to Dr. A. Bernard. And they kept walking. They looked, and they kept walking. And he tells the story. And then when they turned around, they couldn't find her. They went to the subways, to the train stations, back up Ralph Avenue, trying to find this woman. Until today, you speak to Dr. Bonon and ask him, and you'll see. Till this day, he believes it was a divine visitation giving him a message. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate our children. Children are much more sensitive to spiritual things than we are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. 
Don't create fear for them. It isn't all about monsters and go go goblins, but no, sometimes they, they're able to discern. When a kid tells you, I don't like that person, listen to it closely. They're perceiving something that you and I don't understand. It's true. It's a true story. Kids only know truth. They only know the truth. They only know the truth. We, we teach them to be racists. We teach them to be angry and sarcastic. The kids aren't like that. That's why Jesus says we need to be like children. Oh, come on. I'm going to blow up in a second because this isn't even part of my notes. Hallelujah. God speaks through the miraculous. God is speaking through this sermon right now to your life. Without calling your name or saying the specific situations that you're facing with your daughter, your son, your home life, your finances. God is ready to pour out a miracle, but you need to not quit. You need to just change lanes, reposition yourself, and you need to stick it out. Hold on. In this story, if he hadn't gotten this pushback from the Jews, he wouldn't have found his true purpose in ministry. And oftentimes, I, 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 I stopped this a long time ago. I learned this from my wife years ago. And that is, I, if I'm going to go through a trial, I need to find out that the lesson that God is teaching me through that. There needs to be a lesson. I'm not going to go through this and just sweat it out. And I know God will get the glory at the end. I'm going to get so excited, I'm going to jump off the stage and run across the Grand Street in a moment. We just have to, we, we have to realize that, God, that the trial, the pushback doesn't mean that God is not in it. The pushback is simply God is trying to squeeze you out because you're being an obstacle to put you in the right lane. In the right lane, you'll have passage. In the right lane, you'll have provision. In the right, right lane, you'll have, you'll have protection. Don't you get this? I, yesterday, I was driving my car, the car, and as I'm going through, there was a, I don't know if it was a garbage truck or whatever, they were blocking the road. So what did I do? I could have sat there and gotten frustrated and said, I'm sick and tired of bike lanes. I'm sick and tired of traffic. Why can't I go more than six miles an hour here in the city of New York? I could have done all that. My blood pressure would have gone through the roof, and I would have lost some more hair and more wrinkles in my face. But what did I do? That pushback, I said, you know what? I'm not going to sweat this thing right now. The air conditioner in the car is working. I got nice jazz music playing in the background. I'm feeling pretty good because I'm going to go pick up my baby because she's just finishing up with stuff that she was doing as a lady. So what did I do? Instead of sitting there being frustrated because you're blocking traffic. Because I had a vision. I had a passion. Right? But I was frustrated. Put the signal light right. Power steering. I love power steering. The other street, no one. No one on bicycles, no one on cars. I just, whoo. Sometimes all we need to do is change lanes. Stop being the stubborn parent. Stop being the super spiritual, per super religious person, I should say. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. It hasn't helped you to this point. Just continue praying, I believe, in prayer. Continue believing God for the miraculous, for divine intervention. But step out of the way and get yourself into another, another track, another road, another lane, and then stick it out. And church, let me just tell you right now, when you're going through stuff, the, a, a real mature believer just uh, holds on. I don't know where this is going, but I'm holding on, Lord. Right now, I can't see clear. Come on, I know I'm speaking to some of you. When you've gone through some serious stuff. That it looked like it was over. You, wish you should have been dead. That even your friends and relatives say, You're, this, she's not going to make it through this one. She's not going to be able to get through. She's going to lose her mind. Watch. Give it a few months. They were saying all of this. And you ever felt alone when nobody was with you? Here you are with a crowd of people all cheering you on. And, and people and family and friends. Everybody Facebooking you and all that stuff. They like you and all that. And you still feel alone. But then you just hold on and you say, Lord, 
I'm just trusting you. I'm getting out of the way of this situation because I don't think I should be in this lane. I know I'm gifted. I know I'm called. I know I should be doing this. I'm doing religion, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to get through. But I'm just holding on. Sometimes the whole thing about victory is just holding on to the Lord. I don't like it. I feel the pain. I don't know where this is going. I really don't even understand the outcome. And I don't like that you're putting me through this, Lord. But I love you so much that I'm going to hold on. And what seems to be unclear right now because I can't see through the other side will become perfectly clear once I move over to the other place because in the other place I'm going to have a vision that you're going to protect me that you're going to watch over me that you're going to be my God come on praise the Lord hey glory to God hallelujah we have this real cute song that we sing in Spanish actually we don't sing it anymore because I stopped them from singing it some of them sing it the rebellious ones still sing it every once in a while <laughs> no, it's got a good tune but just because I have a good tune doesn't mean anything Lots of things have a good tune. That says, basically translated to, to the English, it means, thank you for the trials. Thank you for the trials. Give me more trials. Something like that. It actually says, direct translation, thank you for the trials. Thank you for the trials. Because if I'm able to carry them, you will be glorified in me. Something like that it translates to. But that song, just I, I can't thank God for trials. If you want to, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can't. Give me more. Hit me, hit me harder. No, I don't like getting hit. I don't like getting talked about. I don't like, know that. I don't know about you, but I'm not a masochist that way. I might have other problems. I'm still twitching from those other problems. But I've come to learn that trials teach us a lesson. I've come to learn that when you emerge from the other side in a different lane, the Lord blesses you tremendously. Hallelujah. So has that been your experience? Yes. So don't be afraid of what's going to happen. Just be thankful that God is with you while that is happening. So the pushback might be God simply repositioning yourself. T.D. Jakes has a book written and teaches this heavily. You just have to... Re and now, now think about it for a moment, church. God, if God had the power to take Saul, knock him off the horse when he was going to Damascus, making him blind and changing him, didn't God also have the, the power to take Paul by the hand now and say, stop preaching to the Jews and start preaching to the Gentiles? Of course. But this goes back to the theme that I te teach you so often and I want to remind you today. There's some things that God does and then there's some things that you have to do. And one of the things you need to stop doing, stop being a victim. We're still praying for that same request of something that happened to you 15 years ago. Stop being a victim. You're not that person anymore. That trial no longer defines you. You're, just, you're keeping it alive just by asking for more prayer on that situation. Stop being a victim. Oftentimes, we don't move forward because, oh, me, oh, my, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. We don't have tracks like that here in New York City. I come from the projects. I come from the projects. I come from a big family. You can't, your family is probably not bigger than mine. Eleven of twelve. I had the wrong last name. My last name has several vowels. Wrong color. All this stuff. Oh, stop it. Because if you're gifted, called of the Lord, 
you will prosper. You will be effective. And you say, but people are blocking me. Let them attempt to. They may be blocking you because you're in the wrong lane. Get out of that lane. Get in the right lane. Don't quit. Just get out of that lane. Get in the right lane. Get out of that lane. Get into the lane that God wants you. And don't give up. Then it says in the closing part of the, and I love this passage here. And I'm, I'm trying to wrap up here. This is so rich. In this, in this vision that he has, the Lord tells him not to be afraid. Fear stops us from doing so many things, church. And the fear that it's alluding to here is that paralyzing fear. That paralyzing fear that doesn't let us move forward because yes. we're afraid of the outcome. Then he says, keep on speaking. That was his gifting, his area of preaching. Don't give up on the gifting God placed over your life. Keep perfecting that even more. It says, do not be silent. That's the worst thing you could do. Well, you handle it. I'm not handling it anymore. You don't need my voice. Yes, we do. Just because we don't agree with you at the moment or don't line up with what you think we should be done, that doesn't mean we don't like you. We actually love you. But there's timing for everything. And then it says this passage, which I always personalize this part. He says, this is the Lord speaking to, to, to Paul through a vision. Because I am with you. You know how many trials I've gone through in my journey? That what has helped me to get through, if I could be vulnerable with you for a moment, down inside of me that God is with me. Hallelujah. You know, even, even, you ever blown it, made a mistake? Even when that happens, then things happen because you were quick or whatever. But I've never, ever felt abandoned by the Lord. Never. I don't walk around trying to seek him as my friend again. I've never felt abandoned. And so what happens? That helps you to get through. And, and this passage here reminds me. He says, for I am with you. And look at this. No one's going to attack you and harm you. You have to put attack and harm together. Take out the word and and render it in the English. And it really, no one's going to come and hurt you and debilitate you and, and decapitate you. There will be misunderstandings. But no one's going to knock you out. Because I am with you. Because I'm watching over you. I love that. There's a beautiful song in Spanish written by this Mexican brother from California. And, he, and, and the song basically translates in Spanish. It, it translates poorly into the English. But the imagery is powerful. He says, um, um, I have my hand in the hand of the Lord. And he says, come sickness, I have my hand in the hand of the Lord. Come storm and trial, I have my hand in the hand of the Lord. Come what may, while I'm here on earth, I have my hand in the hand of the Lord. And then the end of the song, he, he says, why? Because when I get to heaven, I'm going to be walking through heaven with my hand in the hand of the Lord. Manuel Bonilla, you may want to look it up. Manuel Bonilla, beautiful song that he wrote. I think he's still alive today. But we have to live life not thinking God is happy with us today and not happy with us tomorrow. Some people will like you today, Sunday, and then not like you tomorrow. God doesn't go through that. You know how you have friends, even we think that social media is the way to go. If somebody's got to tell you to social media that they like you, they really don't. But we believe that. God always has, not like, he has love with regard to you. Even, and Pastor E prayed this powerfully, even when we do wrong, even when we're out of line, his love endures forever. And then he says, because I have many people in this city. And what he's saying there, you're focusing in on the few. And, and, and church, there comes to be a point in our lives where we realize that we cannot be insular. 
This city is so huge, so large. Their lives to be, to be transformed and lives to be reached. And we need to let the power of the Holy Spirit transform individuals. We as a church, we know our history, where we come from. We started uh, more than 65 years ago as a church down here in lower Manhattan for a reason. The context is changing. We have a, a, a gentrification is, is sitting in full, full throttle right now. In another 18 months, 20,000 additional people will be moving in south of Houston Street down here. 20,000 additional people. I can rattle off, rattle off right now from the top of my head six churches that I know that are closing down here. We might be one of the few shows in town, if you excuse the phrasing. Yes. Thank God we own our building and we're here. We're not going anywhere. Developers call us often and we're not interested because we're going to be here. But that doesn't mean that we can keep going the way we're going. The people that are moving down here, there's a displacement happening right now. The big battle, you don't have to go far from the newspapers to see what's going on with the New York City Housing Authority and the developments of property and Section 8 being uh, taken out of, the, uh, out of existence and all the subsidies that we were enjoying at one time. And they're cutting social programs so that we can build and pay for a wall that has solar energy attached to it. I mean, it doesn't, a lot of these policies don't make sense. And I'm not preaching anything political, Democratic, Republican. It doesn't matter what party is sitting in there. We have to live by the justice of God. This is all changing down here. You know, right? I read this morning the article again about Masaryk Towers and closing out that street there. I understand the, the, the business ramifications of that private property, but what does it mean for our community? Where our people are being displaced, and who's going to speak for the seniors? Who's going to speak for the homeless? Who's going to speak for the people that are being displaced? And, and the reality is, come on, let's stop covering the sky with our hand. No one wants to have people that are being subsidized living on, on the richest island in the world. With river views. If you believe that, then let me sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. It's not that way. There are many, and we have to be, I like Robert Lithicum's position on this, and it'll be mine uh, forever, that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not only transform the heart, but the city of Satan. You need to read that book by Robert Lithicum. And in that book, he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ definitely saves and rescues a person, but it also transforms systems. We have to. We have to, church. We have to. We have to pray. And, and here's how we should be praying. Don't try and change people's behaviors. I pray for people in power. I pray for the people in power in D.C., in, in, state of, in Albany, and, in, and also in our, in our municipality, in City Hall. I pray for them often. I was going to say every day, but that would not be truth. But I pray for them often, several times in the week. And you know my prayer is? It isn't God remove them. No. It isn't God get them. Now, some of the decisions they make are kind of crazy. But the Bible tells me that I need to pray for those that are in, in, in power over us. Agree or disagree. Way before we got all happy. And here's what I pray. I pray, Lord, their heart. Yes. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, like Pastor Kike used to say, sick them, Holy Ghost. Keep them awake. Either what they're doing to our grandmas and grandpas and our children is just not right. It's just not right. And I'm going to leave it there because you might think that I'm, getting, I'm not going political with you at all. I'm going biblical on you. We have to stand against systems that are destructive and that, are in, that, are, that, that demonstrate no justice. That's the turning over of tables is not just for the money changers and Jesus' experience, but it's really those structures that stand in the way of us honoring the dignity of human beings. There's a problem with that, church. Listen to my heart. 
And as we pray as a church, let's pray for the hearts of people. Let's pray for the, the hearts of people in power, even if you don't like them, even if you would never invite them over for coffee and hot chocolate and cheese in your house. They make decisions that are, and there's some good people in government and there's some horrible people in government. Yes. But you know what? There's some good people in church and there's some, well, yes. hallelujah. We just need to pray for people. This applies to you. Stop badgering your family members. Pray for their heart. I want my son's behavior to change. Pray for their heart. I want my daughter to be different, not to be with that group and not doing this and no more tattoos, whatever it might be that upsets you. Whatever it might be. Pray for the heart. Let the Holy Spirit do what he does best. Get out of the way. Get into another. Be, instead of being a, a nagging parent, become a consistent parent. Instead of badgering them, badgering your spouse, and some of them need badgering, but after a while, just back off for a moment and get on your knees and pray. God can do a lot more if you can get out of the way for a moment. Trust the Lord that way. Pastor E and I do that with our kids. and our, my, 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 I don't have daughters-in-law. They're daughters and my grandbabies. And that's, they're things that we pray. We say, Lord, just be in the situation and, and capture my son's hearts and my daughter-in-law's hearts and protect my grandbabies. I can't be there all the time with them. And I want to tell you that I, I don't go through sleepless... Yeah, they, I work. this is a, a tough city. Yes. Tough things. My, my girls are beautiful. You know? And what, I can't be with them all the time. But I believe in miracles. I say, Lord, when I can't be with them, if, if you leave it up to me, I'm, not, I'm a crazy grandfather, I would retire right now if God would let me and I would be the chauffeur for my babies. Take them everywhere, buy them all the food they're not supposed to eat because that's what they want. I always get into trouble. I buy them the same doll over and over, and I get home, and I say, but they have it already. I know, but they wanted it. <laughs> but I can't be there. My baby falls in the schoolyard. I can't be there. But God can. I trust you, Lord. I'm going to try not to get emotional. got to be there. I can't scoop them up. I pray. My, my babies are small, but they're gorgeous. They're going to meet a nice young man, and, but he better be really nice. I, I'm going to have an interview with that young man. I don't care who he is. I don't care how well recommended he is. Hallelujah. My granddaughters are precious gifts. And even, and, 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 well, they got to get through with my son Timothy and, and, his, and their uncle also first, but and you know, your babies too. I take your kids that I've seen now, they're beautiful young women, because I've been here long enough, and now they're blossoming into these beautiful young women. Hallelujah. I, I, get, I, I want to confess to you, I get jealous when I see them. Who is that guy? I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. And in some instances, I've actually confronted them, because I don't need them to be happy with me, because they're not going to tell mommy and daddy, you know who I saw with so-and-so? You know him? Okay, you know him? Okay, it's fine. You need to know. I don't go, I'm not a cop. I'm not looking in corners. But when I see people with our, when I come here on Fridays with our young people and I see, who's that, who does that kid belong to? That boy over there, that girl over there. Because it's not just the boys, you know. Who is that over there? I ask questions and I pray. God wants the best for you. Get out of the way. Don't quit. Change lanes. God didn't force Paul to change lanes. He did it himself. Don't, there's some things you have to change lanes. Yes. 
Stick it out. Hold on to the Lord. Look at our city. Look at those that are not related to you and how we can be a blessing, a light, salt on the earth. Let's stand throughout this place.